0: It's the same problem that churches today have, really, and all of us Christians do. They had a hard time getting along. In their case, it was manifested in a lot of different ways, but Paul here in the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians was zeroing in on this pride that would cause them to be divisive, to pick sides, to play favorites, and to believe that somehow they were superior to others. And Paul uses himself as an example of simplicity and someone who wouldn't brag about himself or puff himself up he instead presents himself as being just a simple person with a simple message the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this fourth chapter as we've been in it the last couple of weeks he he starts out by again describing himself as just a servant just an under rower, somebody who just works here, but a steward of the mysteries of God. And he said, as we saw last week, I'm just a servant, but you know, he said, I do work for God. So he said, when you judge me, it doesn't mean a whole lot to me. I don't let you judge me. I don't even judge myself. And I don't judge others. There's only one I'm trying to please, and that's God, and I'll wait till he has the final say about it. I'll wait till judgment time to decide how I'm doing. I'm not going to live my life always trying to please others. You just can't do that. I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said, I don't know what the secret to success is, but the secret to failure is trying to please everyone. Paul understood that. So he said, you know what, I'm leaving that up to God. Now as we come to the sixth verse, he starts to wrap things up. When we get into chapter 5, he gets more specific with them about issues in their church. But the first four chapters are just laying a foundation. They needed to understand who they are before they could understand what he needs to tell them. But here as he's wrapping it up in verse 6, he says, Now, these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes. Remember, they were saying, well, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. And so he's been addressing that whole thing. And he said, I've been talking about me and Apollos, but really I'm doing it for you. I want you to make the connection that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other for who makes you differ from another and what do you have that you did not receive now if you did indeed receive it why do you boast as if you had not received it when we talk about differences we usually don't mean it in a complimentary way If you heard that someone was talking about you and someone else asked about you and what kind of a person you are and what you heard them say about you is, well, he's different. She's different. You probably wouldn't take that as being, well, what a nice thing to say. (laughs) Because the fact is, in our society, we don't appreciate different very well. We train people from the earliest ages to conform, that through uniformity and conformity, that's where value comes. There was an entire movement, the communist movement, that destroyed a whole generation of this world that was all based on the idea of making everyone the same, treating everyone the same. Now, it's funny because there are a lot of ways in which we are all the same, And we have so much in common, but at the same time, we have to acknowledge there are also differences. And Paul's zeroing in on this because inevitably, when people have problems, it has to do with the fact that we're different. And each one of us is unique. If you've raised children, it's amazing how if you have more than one child, they can look like clones of each other. Because they come from that same genetic pool, and they're raised in the same environment, basically. Now, there are, there are behaviorists who will say, well, it's different if you're a first child or a second child. And even giving you that, it's amazing how kids can be raised in a very similar environment, and yet they come out so different. And you know, your kids are such individuals. They're just different. And sometimes those differences drive you crazy as a parent. The fact that your kids see things differently than you do. And we tend to fight against that and try to get them to conform, to fit in. Because we know, and you know, every one of us is plagued with differences. There are certain things that we do individually that are just kind of weird and there are always people who will remind us of that and let us know of that and so we get kind of insecure and it's especially true of parents for their kids because when you get older you know when you're young you think you fit in you think you're cool you think everybody likes you and then you get a little older and you look back and go i was one of the geeks i was i was weird people must have thought i was completely nuts They didn't really say that, but, boy, we become scared to death that our kids will be one of the picked-on ones or one of the weird ones. And so we obsess with getting them the right clothes and the right playing the right sport and doing the right thing, and we mold and shape them all with a message that says, I want you to fit in in the worst way. Now, there's something good about that. It makes sense to fit in. But fitting in and conforming and being the same are two different things. But the fact that we are different is what presents most of the problems that we have with other people. It's, I don't see things the way you do. Now, if everyone in the world was like me, oh, man, it'd be I'm sure it'd be a horrible world, but I'd like it because... <laughs> It'd be great. I could turn on the TV and everything on there is just the stuff I like. 24 hours of ultimate fighting, you know? And it would be like, boy, this is, I have never enjoyed TV so much. I, it's one of the great things of, uh, to me, one of God's greatest inventions, TiVo. Because now I can only watch what I want to watch. When I want to watch it, it's perfect. But for a lot of us, that's the way we would like our life to be. But the fact is, there are people who like different things than we do. And when our TiVo fills up with cooking shows, it just drives me nuts. <laughs> it's like, cooking shows? I, I really, I don't need that. I don't want, just give me the food. I don't care how it's made. I, <laughs> but in the church, it's that way. I'm not like you, and that gives us problems. Almost all problems stem from the fact that we're different. Now, Paul here in this passage is telling them, you know, I've been talking about Apollos and myself as an example, but he said, really, what I want you to do is to get this point for yourselves. You have been boasting. You've been proud of yourselves. Now, rather than talk about me and Apollos, let's talk about you. And he says, again, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written and that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. First of all, thinking beyond what is written. The the Greek words there are, there's a word for thought and then there's the word huper or hyper beyond that. And he says, you're taking what's written. You're taking what he has written. You're taking the scriptures and now you're thinking way past it. You're thinking way too much beyond it. You're hyper thinking the scriptures. You're hyper thinking what's being said to turn it into something that gives you an occasion to puff yourself up against people who are different. The word there for different is heteros, it's a word that means someone of a different kind, something that's very different than you are. And he says, this is what's messing you up, is when you see someone who's really different than you are, you get puffed up. Why? Because you have taken what's written and you've thought about it so much that now what's written is what's justifying you. It's what's saying you are the way everyone ought to be. And this is what they were doing there in Corinth. And why? one of the reasons why they were so divided, and it's a reason why today, Christians are known for being the type of people that can't get along with each other. We break up into groups constantly because, oh, I differ with you. I was talking to one of our missionaries to a large, large East Asian country, and in that country, the, most of the churches are illegal. People go to jail for having churches. And their churches are strong, and there are Christians that, boy, God's really working in that nation despite a, a government that wants to completely crush it. And most of the churches are called house churches. They meet in homes. But as he was talking to me about those house churches, he was sharing with me how basically of all the thousands and thousands of house churches in that nation, there are kind of four different groups of them. And I said, well, how or underground. How do they become parts of the groups? And he said, well, the four groups, they all are basically teach the gospel and preach the word, and they're right on Christians, but like they might disagree on something like the mode of baptism, for instance. And I thought, here, you're in a place where you can get killed for your faith, and and you could be, I mean, the very existence of your church is illegal, and yet you go, well, we're not like those house churches over there because they baptize differently than we do. And I thought, how characteristic that is of what we do with the writings, of what we do with teachings, of what we do with the Word of God. And as soon as I understand it differently than you do, and usually that comes at least partly because I'm thinking too much. I'm trying to make more of it than what it actually says. And then as a result, as Paul says here, you end up getting puffed up and having a problem with people because they are different than you are? Hey, listen, if you are not going to get along with people who are different than you are, you're going to be really alone. And I think that's why people bounce from church to church so often because you come to a church and you go, this is great. These people are just like me. After a while, you start going, they're not like me at all. They're really different. But I hear this other church is really like me, so I'll go hook up there. Until they disagree with you or that pastor, pastor says something you don't agree with, and then it's like, okay, I got to move on. I'm, I'm just obsessed with finding a place where everyone is like me, like the cheers bar of churches. You know, there's this, everybody knows your name, and everybody's just... And the problem is the way that God designed us <laughs> is that we're really different. And Paul has been emphasizing that for the last four chapters, saying that God collected an assortment of people who aren't wise or noble, foolish things of the world in order to confound the wise. See, God likes things to be different. What's your favorite food? You might go, you don't need to answer that, but if you have a favorite food, is that all you eat? Now, there are some of us who are pretty conservative by nature. And so typically, if there's a restaurant that I go to, I will usually eat the same thing in that restaurant every time. Now I have every intention of not doing that. <laughs> you know, I will I'll go to Claim Jumper and I'll go, look at this, it's like a 50-page menu. Or like Cheesecake Factory. It's it's like an encyclopedia, their menu. And yet, after flipping through it, you know, the waitress coming back, are you ready? Now give us a few more minutes. And I'm going through, and I'm thinking, ooh, this looks pretty good. That looks good. That looks... All these choices. And then I always just get the same thing. I don't know why I do that. But it's nice to have choices. That's why I don't just eat at the Cheesecake Factory every meal. And I don't like eating just the same thing all the time, and yet I have my favorites. There's something about variety, though, that's kind of nice. If you have a favorite flower, you wouldn't just plant that flower everywhere in that color. You like some variety. Well, look at the world that God created. God must love variety because he's made so many different colors of beautiful things, different colors of people even, and different personalities and different environments. And he's just painted with so many different amazing angles and approaches and all of these things. He's created a world that's just vastly where everything is unique. And the reason he's done that is because it takes all of that to reflect his glory. You can't just paint one little simple picture and go, that's God. And as a result, too, when it comes to his people, he doesn't just say, I want people to be like Dave Rolfe, so that's the way I'm going to make them all. He goes, you know what? I'm going to make you get along with people who are really different than you are. If you're married, you've probably discovered this. When you got married, you thought you had found someone just like you. (laughs) And then you realize, no, (laughs) we're really different in a lot of ways, in more ways than we ever thought. I think sometimes God uses our similarities just to trick us into getting married, (laughs) and then the differences become exposed later. Because the truth is, you need someone different than you are. But what happens when you start to resent that person for being different than you are? Then inevitably, a value judgment gets made as to, you are this way and I am this way, and it's really better to be like me. And then you can spiritualize the way you are and have all sorts of biblical reasons to support why you are the way you are. So you might be a person who doesn't talk much. You know, you're just just a quiet person, rather introverted, and you don't have much to say. Well, around you, you're surrounded by chatterboxes, people who are just constantly rattling on and on and on. And so your favorite verse are those verses in Proverbs that talk about, you know, if you keep your mouth shut, people will think you're wise. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, you know, there it is. On the other hand, if you're the chatterbox and you're just always, you always have something to say and you see people who are introverted, then you decide they must be horribly depressed. They just don't have the joy of the Lord. They just, you know, sometimes you just have to speak up. I wonder what injuries they have in their lives that are causing them to be the way. And, and we all think, yes, the way I am is the spiritual way to be. And we have verses to back it up. And that's what Paul's talking about. Don't think so much about the Bible that when you read the Bible, it makes you feel good about you and bad about others. It makes you feel judgmental toward people who see things differently than you do. Puffing yourself up in that way is to misuse and to miss the point of what God is saying. Now, as he goes on to say in verse 7, for who makes you differ from another? Now, that from another, as you see in your English Bible, is in italics, which means it's they thought it was assumed, but really, all it, all it says literally is, who makes you different? Who made you different? The word for different there is a word, anacreno that was used when they would look at something closely, like a, a valuable stone or metal, and as they would scrutinize it and, and be able to tell how valuable it is, how good it is. And so, on one hand, he's kind of saying, what makes you think you're so different? What makes you think you're so special? But probably even more to the point, because the word that he emphasizes in the in the sentence is who. It's not an understood word. It's stated strongly. Who is it that made you different? Now, in order to understand and answer that question, first, you've got to stop arguing about the fact that you're different. And that means you have to let go of those insecurities that cause you to think that, you're not different. Everyone else is different. You're the way you're supposed to be. But he takes it a little deeper and he says, "Basically, why do you think you're different? Why do you think God made you so weird?" And you go, "Well, I don't know. I guess maybe it's my upbringing, it's the problems that I had in my life, it's the sinful world, or it's the way I eat or whatever that made me the way I am." But he gets personal and says who who made you this way? Who made you different? And that forces us to face the fact that you know God made me the way I am. He's the one who created someone just like me. Now the rest of the world may not like you the way you are, but God does. He made you that way. A lot of what everyone else was trying to program out of you is what he programmed into you. And Our whole system of socializing people, our whole educational system, is basically geared toward getting people to conform to a standard that we can all agree on. And a lot of times, frankly, in education, it's getting people to act in a way that's easiest for a teacher to manage a large group of students with you. We have things called learning disabilities And again, it's not a disability at all. Everyone's able to learn. But you may have been told when you were a kid that you had a learning disability because you didn't happen to learn the way the teacher happened to teach. And so they told you, you better learn to learn the way that we teach because that'll be best for all of us. And as a result, maybe you were drugged or something else in order to get you to to be able to function in that kind of an environment. The message that that sends to people is, you need to get with the program. You need to adjust yourself to everyone else, to our expectations. You need to do things the way that we want to do them, get in lockstep and do what everyone else is doing. But the message of the Bible is to not be conformed to this world but to be transformed by God, by the renewing of your mind. He wants to do this major thing in you, and he is the one who made you. It is he that hath made us, the psalmist says, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture, he made you the way that you are. And so it's important to just go, okay, here's who I am. God made me that way. Now, if you're a real chatterbox person, people have told you to shut up since you learned to talk. Don't talk so much. Be quiet. Speak when you're spoken to. Quit rambling on so much. And you probably had verses thrown in your face in order to support that. On the other hand, if you are a person who doesn't have much to say or you just like to think, and you're shy, and you don't say much. All your life, people have been telling you, well, speak up for yourself. You need to assert yourself. Look me in the eye when you talk to me. Say something. And it's like, you know, if you're, if you're blessed enough, you finally married someone who was the opposite as you, so now there's always someone to carry the conversation, and you can look like a really interested listener as you, as you sit there and let someone else talk but they're still going to be wanting you to be like them. Why don't you talk less? Why don't you talk more? But Paul says, who made you the way you are? Who is it who created that difference within you? And understanding that and accepting that, accepting the fact that God wants people who are different to be together Those are the colors that he uses on his palette to paint the picture that demonstrates his glory ultimately. Who made you? It was God, of course. And now he goes on to say his second question. And what do you have that you did not receive? That word for have means to hold on to something. He goes, what are you hanging on to? What are you taking pride in? What is your identity that you didn't receive? Are you really a self-made person? Or did God give you what the capacities that you have? Did other people teach you the things that you know? Is there a huge contribution from all different directions that has ultimately worked together to make you who you are? Tell me which part of what you have only came from you, was original with you. Because If you're going to be proud, if you're going to be puffed up, then it can't be things that you got from others. It can't be what God gave you. It has to be what you did yourself. And so there are many people who live their lives with their significance being that, look what I have done. And Paul kind of unmasks that a little and says, so did you do it by yourself? Did you do it without help? Who actually gave you what you are? That which you're hanging on to so tightly and so so carefully, who gave it to you? Did, did any of it you not receive? Now, this is the third question. Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? If God made you the way you are. Now, you may be smarter than some other people, but he says, So who gave you that brain? And who gave you that education? Who wrote the books that you read that made you so smart? Who had the ideas that you adapted to and adopted in order for you to be able to process the way that you are? Then why are you acting like you've done something? Why are you acting like you are superior so often? If we could put ourselves in another person's place, we would understand how they see it. And we might agree from their perspective, hey, things look a lot different. We'd benefit greatly. Now, we live in a world today that's just gone crazy with this idea. Postmodernism basically says there is no right and wrong. There is no absolute truth that what's true for you isn't true for me. And it's an honest conclusion to draw looking at this world apart from God's Word. Because it does. Things look so differently. You you know, you go see a movie, and you hear someone else talking about the movie, and you go, we must have been seeing a different movie. It's, you saw something completely different than I did. But to jump to the conclusion, therefore, that there wasn't a movie is the ridiculous notion that philosophers today are are going to, and that is that, well, you just... There's nothing that's true. There's nothing that's real. No, the truth is that truth and reality and God are just so complicated that each of us are only seeing a facet and an angle of what's there. And it's important for us to begin by acknowledging that there may be valid perspectives that are different from ours. And that certainly, even if I am right and you are wrong, I am only right because God revealed it to me and gave me the capacity to understand and, and the, the, the background and the materials and the education and everything that enabled me to see what it is that I see. And so therefore, I can't act like I'm better than you because I know something that you don't know unless I invented what I know. Now, here's what happens and how people misuse the Bible. You look at the Bible And you go, the Bible is kind of convoluted in a lot of ways. Bless his heart, you know, God breathed it, and it's all true, but we sometimes think, but God is so unorganized. And some of the things that he said, he could have worded it a lot better. He really could have made it clearer. But it's like a big puzzle. And what God needs is for us to get all the different pieces of his puzzle and organize it together into a systematic theology and then say, okay, when you compare this verse with this verse with this verse with this verse and you get this quote from this theologian and this perspective from this one, you put it all together, here's the way God should have laid it down. Now, isn't that easier? Isn't that more clear? you know, I have a feeling that God wrote his word exactly the way he wanted to, and he said it exactly the way he wanted to say it, and it wasn't so that we could have good arguments. It wasn't because he said, oh, I want a bunch of different churches. It's because God's so big that not one of us is capable of seeing everything that there is to God. But what do we do? You know, there are different people who have different preferences, and that's to be expected if God is as big as he is. But what we do is go, you know, what we need in our church is more dancing. It would, I would really like it if people would just start dancing up and down the aisles. Now, we don't do that here. And, and it's because, frankly, the people here, and I'm the pastor, I, I get really distracted by people dancing up and down the aisles while I'm trying to worship God. In fact, I have a whole bunch of Bible verses that would say that you shouldn't do that. But I'll tell you something, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, to be honest with you. And there are places where people do that, and I think that's fine. Now, when we get to heaven and God's gonna go, all you dancing people, (laughs) you were wrong. Or all you danceless people all you dancing-deprived people, you were wrong. I suspect he's going to say, aren't you glad that I gave you some places where you could dance and some places where you could just sit there? (laughs) Aren't you glad that there were times, places where certain expressions were permissible and others where it wasn't? Because you guys were all different, and I realized that. The problem becomes when we take God's word and we think about it, hyper-think about it, And then we decide the way we do it is really the only right way. And we look down our nose at anyone who likes doing it differently. Had a conversation with someone a while back who told me that, you know, your people would really worship if you'd stand up during the entire song service, during the entire worship service. Really, you'll see. Make everyone stand up the whole time, and they'll just enter into worship so much better. Well... I, you know, and there are places where they do that, and that's fine. For me, when I go somewhere like that and they make you stand up for too long, I start out really praising God and, and worshiping Him. But after a couple of songs, I'm thinking a lot more about my knees, my hips, and my back. And I And, man, by the end of the worship service, I'm thinking about anything but God. Now, so therefore, do I say it's wrong to do that? No, it's okay. If you go to an Orthodox church, an Eastern Orthodox church, they stand up during the entire service. Ministers can sit down. I like that. But, <laughs> but we don't do that because I know most of you appreciate the seats. See, if we take what we happen to like, we shouldn't say, the way I am, I feel so guilty. When I look at, you know, there are some people who can stand up all during church, two and a half hours. Boy, they must be really dedicated to God. I feel like a real heel because I plop down in the Bertolini. And and if it goes more than 10 minutes late, I'm getting antsy as it is. You know, I feel bad. There are people in Africa who are in 120-degree sweltering heat with 100% humidity, and they walk miles to come to church and, and sitting there in the dirt worshiping the Lord, and here, if the air conditioner isn't working as well as it should, I'm just like, we need to find another church. I feel so bad. You know what? God made different people differently, and that's okay. Okay. But the important thing is, let's not take our differences and use the Word of God as justification for who we are. It's okay for us to be who we are. That's all right. That's what Paul was saying, as we saw last week. He's going, you know what? What you think of me isn't that big of a deal. And I don't even judge myself that much, and I'm not trying to judge others. I'll answer to God ultimately for the way I am. But then he goes on to say... Now, don't get puffed up and think the way I am is the right way. It's the only way. And I look down my nose at others. Instead, we should say, and I truly mean it, I'm really thankful that there are churches where people can be free to dance up and down the aisles because I don't really want them doing it in our aisles. So I'm glad there's a place where they can do that, and I'm serious about that. And if that's worship to somebody, that's fine with me. That's great. It's fine. See, God is so much bigger than what I am and who I am like. You know, there are some people who just have a natural capacity for bubbling, overwhelming joy. And every time you see them, they're just happy, they're smiling. They don't need a reason to smile, they're just happy people all the time. And sometimes it just feels good to have someone like that in your presence. There are times when you need that smile. There are other people who have this amazing capacity for empathy. And when you're hurting, they're right there with you. Their arms around you, tears are welling up in their eyes as they speak of your pain. And they're just like, you know they understand and they feel with you. And it's such a blessing when you have people to be there like that for you. And, you know, there are some times when, you're feeling bad, and that bubbly person, you don't even want to see them. Like, don't come up and smile in front of me. It just makes me feel convicted, and I don't, I, when I see you smiling like that, I just think you're laughing at me. So steer clear of me right now. I just need somebody who will give me a shoulder to cry on. But there are other times when the last thing you want is for that person to come up and put their hand on your arm and go, Are you all right? you know what? I don't need any help right now. I don't need anybody to cry with me. You got a joke? Is there something? And see, at different times, we need different types of people. And there aren't very many people. There aren't any people who depict all of those realms of emotion. And so God has given us each other. God has given us, surrounded us with people who are all so different. And he goes, when are you going to get it? I did this on purpose. I made you all different so that together, collectively, you could reflect my glory. You could represent all of the facets of who I am. And that's a great thing. And it'd be miserable to be different than that. So again, Paul says, look, you guys learn this. Don't overthink what's been written in such a way that it puffs you up and makes you better than anyone who's different than you are answer this question, who made you different? You know, don't you think he knew what he was doing? He's God. And if he made you different, do you have anything that you didn't get from somewhere? Is there anything that's worth bragging about? Why are you acting like you made yourself? God made you deal with it. God made those other people who are different than you are too. And understand, together you're a part of something magnificent. It's an awesome thing. And that is so important for us to learn because maybe your whole life you've been trying to be something that you aren't because you think, well, okay, a good Christian ought to talk this way or ought to smile like this or ought to say these kinds of words and you're like, that's not me and so I'm forcing myself. And then people look at you and just go, you're faking it. That doesn't seem natural to you. And the truth is God goes, no, I want you all to be different. I don't want you to all to be the same. On the other hand, you are the same in one respect. You're all a part of the body of Christ. You're all a part of something huge. You all have a place. It's like the whole church, the body of Christ, every one of us is like a little piece of a jigsaw puzzle. And when we're just tossed out here, it just looks like a mess. But in our tendency is let's get all the green pieces together. Let's get all the blues over here. But, you know, some of the blue might be sky. Some of it might be water. Maybe it's not supposed to be all together. Maybe we're not supposed to just huddle up and be alike. How about let's go and look for someone who's different than I am, whereby we can make a connection that's meaningful. And ultimately, as the puzzle develops, as the picture unfolds, we see this glorious description of who God is that we couldn't see any other way. We're a puzzle. And it's puzzling a lot of times. And sometimes people, you look at them, and sometimes you even look in the mirror, and you just look like something that's weird-shaped that doesn't look like anything. A splotch of color and a bunch of circles and holes and everything, and you think, I'm never going to fit. But God says, I made you. I know how to put the puzzle together. I designed the picture. Let me do that. But it'll never work unless you'll learn to get along. Unless you will allow someone who's different than you to be matched up with you, it'll never work. The first thing that God said wasn't good, in the Garden of Eden, it's not good that man would be alone. And I think that all of us at one time or another sometimes think it would be good if we were alone. But it's not good. What's good is to match up our differences in a way that ultimately depicts the beauty of the Lord, who he is. So I have good news and bad news for you. The bad news is you're weird. The good news is you fit. You belong. You're a part of what God wants to do. He made you. Don't look down your nose at people who are different than you are. Be glad there are people who are different than you are. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for making us different.